Okay. So we're learning chapter 6. In chapter 6, we're going to learn about the animal soul. And we are learning as the animal soul as a contrast to the godly soul, right? The godly soul has how many... The godly soul has how many, what is the English they have here? Spheres? How many spheres are in the godly soul? Ten. Ten. So how many crowns of impurity does the animal soul have? Ten. Ten. Okay. And the last thing we're discussing is why they're called spheres by the godly soul and crowns of impurity by the animal soul. Okay. I gave the last class two meanings of the word sphera. There are more, but I gave you two. What were they? We were discussing the, the, the why are the why are the whatever you want to call them the aspects, powers, abilities uh, spheres when we talk about the godly soul and called crowns of impurity when we, when we refer to the animal soul. So what is a sphera? What is the meaning of the word sphera? Tell. Right. It comes from the word sepur, tell a story. Another meaning? What? Count. count. It, it does relate to a count, but we are not, we're not, that one was not related to the topic. Light. Yeah, it means bright or radiant, right? So the idea is that these things, right, these, the seichel, the midas, the intellect, the emotions in the godly soul, they shine and they tell about godliness, right? On the other hand, those same things when they're part of the godly soul, what do they do? They're an impurity. What does an impurity do to something? It blocks. It blocks, right? It muddies it, right? So if you have water and you mix sand into it, right? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't want to drink that. Okay. So if you have some, let's just pick one something random, some chesed. I don't know what chesed is, but it's the chesed of the godly soul. So what do we know that the chesed of the godly soul does? Right. Oh, what does the chesed of the godly soul do? Keep it, we're, not, we're going to ignore the word chesed right now. If it's chesed of the godly soul, what does it do? What? It's like kindness and holiness. It brings and in, instead of blocking, it lets in. Right, just, well, it's a sphere, so it shines godliness and, tell, and says something about godliness, right? So chesed of the godly soul is a way of Expressing, expressing godliness. Notice I keep avoiding the word kindness. You keep yeah. throwing it in there and I keep avoiding it. Okay. Now, what is the... What? You said expresses kindness? No, expresses godliness. What is chesed of the animal soul do? So what happens if you have some chesed of the animal soul mixed with your chesed of the godly soul? Would you really want to drink that? But it doesn't take no... Forget drinking. It doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Why not? Because you can't be shining and blocking. Can you have water? Wait, yeah. Can you say this again? If I you have... The soul, I don't think it works for godliness, and the animal soul blocks it. Right, but it's not just that it blocks it. It acts like an impurity. What does an impurity do? It takes something else and makes it... Impure, too. Yeah. Makes it... Right, right. So if you have water, and you put sand in the water, and you stir it around, would you want to drink that? No. No. 
So if you have the chesed of the godly soul and you add a little bit of the chesed of the animal soul and you mix it around, what happens? You wouldn't want to drink that either, metaphorically speaking, right? It's not an actual liquid. Yes? I just don't get how you can have both at the same time. Ah, which... You can out the water. I'm saying you can be... I'm saying, yeah, I know we do it. I'm saying, from the way we explained it, you can be shining God and blocking God at the same time. You could do it one minute, like you could do it separately. Well, okay. We'll get to that later. Okay? What I want you to think about, though, is... We're talking about the chesed of the godly soul and the chesed of the animal soul as if they're two different substances, right? That's all like analogy, right? If it's acting as an impurity, right? Same thing, you have the, and, and this is why I'm not, mentioning, I'm not getting into what chesed means and gavura means. Or, yeah. If you have the chachm of the godly soul, that shines and reveals and says something about godliness. If you have chachma of the animal soul, does the opposite, right? What happens if you mix the chachm of the animal soul and the chachm of the godly soul? It would be like having water mixed with some something that some impurities, right? Yeah. Okay. This is different than the intuitive way that many of us think about this, where we have where we think of the different parts of our psyche as knives. Now what do we think of it as a knife? Is a knife a bad thing? Is a knife a good thing? Yeah. Depends how you use it. So is the knife a good thing or is the knife a bad thing? It's neither. It's neither. Right? There's a fancy word for this in English. Neutral. Okay? Neutral. <laughs> Neutral. Okay? Neutral. Right? Okay? There's a word. There's a word. Amoral. What does amoral mean? Neither. It's not moral, nor is it immoral. immoral. A knife is not a good thing. Amoral? Yes, amoral. Fancy word. Okay. Immoral so, means no morals. Just, just morality is, you know, like, is black. Is black a moral color or an immoral color? The answer is <laughs> colors don't have morality, right? That's not one of the things you, it's not one of its features. Okay. <laughs> I'm reminded of the kindergarten class where the teacher gets up and says, children, if I have two lollipops and then I eat one, how many lollipops do I have? And the children say, what flavor are the lollipops? Now, I was trying to be subtle. I can be more explicit if I need to be. Okay. So, a knife, right? We don't think of a knife, we don't think of a knife as good or bad. We just say, well, the knife, the knife doesn't really have a good or bad side to it at all, right? It depends on how you use it, right? Yeah. So we think of the knife as neutral, right? An object. That's because it's an object, right? So now, let's take something like intelligence. Is intelligence good or is intelligence bad? Most of us have the idea that, well... No, it depends on how you use it. It depends on how you use it. Okay. One second, right? I don't want anything yes good and yes bad. Oh no, that's exactly the point. Is that this is completely wrong. This way of thinking about it is totally wrong. That in fact, what think, seeing things is amoral is wrong. Yeah, yeah. The author is saying is like this: there is a chesed which is I'm gonna, there is a chesed which is godly, and there is a chesed which is not. Not only is it not godly, what happens? It's an impurity on godliness, right? Okay. So how many kinds of chesed are there? Two. two. So to say, well, it depends how you use your chesed? No, no. they're two different things. 
same thing with a knife. It's just a knife is an object, not a But a knife action. is not like that. A knife... But that's like a punch is an action. There are two different things. There's a punch that I hit you in the face and... Sorry, Hasachan. And, <laughs> and you get hurt. And then there's like a punch like I'm punching in the numbers. But, I don't know. I'm just saying. It's just like harder to understand because that's an object. The... Okay. So the drink. Like, like with speech, there's two different kinds of speeches. There's good speech and bad speech. But no, but this is actually the author was going to say that also, is that there's actually, not the two kinds of speech, there's two different powers of speech. Yeah. There's your godly soul's power to speak, which is quite limited. Why? Well, if we go back to chapter four, which we should all be experts in by now, right? Yeah. What are the godly soul's power of speech? Its speech is in the 613 commandments of the Torah. That's it. So if your godly soul is using its power of speech, then what words are coming out of your mouth? Godly, good words. Godly words, right? Torah words. Yeah. If you're not saying Torah words, then is your godly soul... Yeah. Is that your ordering Torah words? Hopefully. No, I'm saying like... Right now? Yeah. What, when I'm talking to Masih about, let's cook dinner tonight, what, that's not godly. That's and that's godly. also not your godly soul talking. That's my animal soul? That's right. It not be bad. Like, we're going to get to that. It's, it's, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. I'm not necessarily bad, but it's not. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Okay. Let me, to make this a little bit easier, we have to, we have to think of the godly soul and the animal soul as like they're two different people. Okay. okay. If... I have an opinion, and you have an opinion, right? We could have a problem. My opinion, your opinion, contradict, right? And so, like, I say we should do X, and you're like, X is stupid, right? And now we have a problem, right? Because the fact that you voiced your opinion has now um, contaminated my absolute control over what happens. That's something that can happen between people, right? Which is why relationships are interesting, right? Yeah. Okay? We have to think of the godly soul and animal soul as two distinct beings, not how you use something. It's not like you have a knife in the kitchen, you can use it to make soup or you can use it to kill your neighbor, right? Rather, you have to think of it as like you have two people. Yeah. One person has one set of ideas and feelings and their mind works in a certain way, right? And the other person is entirely different. And what happens when they voice those differences? We're going to have conflicts, right? Okay? And how are we thinking of the animal soul? And its chesed, whatever chesed is, and its chachma, whatever chachma is, and its gavur, whatever gavur is. How do we think of those things? As simple impurities on the godly soul. Okay? So I'm going to use this as an analogy. I do not mean to carry it all the way through. But let us say um, you had a... Um, you have a adult. And the kind of adult that really doesn't think that children are people. You know what kinds of adults? Yeah. Okay. And the adult is talking. And then the and then and the adult is talking about what they think or whatever, right? And then the child makes known that the child also has an opinion about something, right? I want something. In the mind of the adult, what is the child? Nothing. No, not nothing. An annoyance. An annoyance, right? Right? We were having this wonderful adult conversation. All of a sudden, this, this impurity has showed up and just messed everything up. You know, now there's a little... 
from the godly soul's point of view, it has this thing called chachma and chesed, and we'll talk about what this means. And then there's this annoying thing called the animal soul, and it also has chachma and chesed. Whenever it's chachma and chesed shows up, what is it, how does the godly soul relate to that? As just annoying. annoying, right? A bother, something that contaminates, corrupts, distorts. So is it the issue of you have one thing and now how should you use it, or is it actually that there's two different things? Yeah. Well, apparently you've never been a parent of small children. Because your child is more dominant? Well, children, I mean, generally how it works is that as long as the child is conscious, um, <laughs> they, do not, they do not keep themselves quiet for the benefit of the adults, and the adults do a lot of changes in how they live their lives to accommodate the fact they have to deal with a child, right? When was the last time you saw a five-year-old say, you know what, I've decided that my mother needs a break, so I'm going to go play quiet in my room to allow her to take a nap. I know, but in our day-to-day life, when I am trying to dominate or trying to learn and I get distracted, for me that's an, an annoyance of my, I'm like, oh, why can't I just focus? When I'm doing something that I like in my animal soul, I'm not like, oh, I don't have to get it. Well, it depends where you're trying. You're trying to be more of a vessel for your godless or your animal soul. Which one's bothering you? But the, the point that I want us to understand is so the animal soul is not necessarily more dominant. Not Not necessarily, but that's not really the main topic. It, it, it's definitely more. It's definitely more noticeable. Okay, what I want us to understand is that we don't actually have something called. Chesed. We have two chesed. We don't have something called gvur. We have two gvurs. Okay. Now, are you ready for my spirit Omer spiel? Because yeah. I have to do my spirit Omer spiel because it's really important to me. Um, partially because I think it's true and partially it's just like me indulging my ego. Okay. Okay. So you know the whole idea of spirit Omer, you have to like fix your midos, right? You have, you know, every day is different thing. Chesed, chesed, and gvur, gvur, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... So people often have this thing, like, I have to work on having more gvura or sheba chesed and more tfer, sheba netzach, whatever that thing, stuff means. You've heard this idea before? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's wrong. What? It's wrong. Why? Well, you're not supposed to work on yourself to have gvura, sheba chesed? No, not really. I think people that are like, my husband's chesed on gvura because he does this and I'll do that. And it's, a re- it's really annoying, actually. It is really annoying. It's extremely <laughs> annoying, okay? It's extremely annoying, okay? Sorry. Let me explain something to you, okay? So... Have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? So The Wizard of Oz, The Wizard of Oz, they had this big thing about how like when they were in the real world, it was black and white, and they went into Oz, it was in color. Okay. Um, but we all know that the real world is not black and white. The real, the real world is actually color, right? Mm-hmm. So could you imagine somebody, like, not as, like a, not as a, 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 an artistic trick for a movie to like, give you a certain sense of something, but like, in real life, a person saying, you know what? My house doesn't have enough color. You mean like, there's not enough variety? No, 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 it's just like, we're just like the spectrum like, ends right before, you know, Purple. So there's just like, if you put something purple in my house, it doesn't show up as purple because there's not enough purple. I mean, 
colors are colors, right? You could, if you take a purple object and bring it into your house, it's purple, it's purple right? Because that's the way the world is, right? The world has a full spectrum of color, right? Now, some people have different arrangements of color, right? Some houses are brighter, some houses have more flashier colors, right? Been to different people's houses, right? But even if there's a different um, ratio of colors and vibrancies and all these things, that's not because the actual way color works, optics and, 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 and uh, the palette are different, right? It's clear to everybody? Okay, are you a person? Okay, so if you're a person, by default, you have chachma, you have chesed, shebe chesed, and gvur shebe. You have all 49 of them, because you're a person. Right. Do you have them in different ratios and in different ways than other people? Of course. Of course. And you know what? That's what reveals that you're an individual. What would happen if we all worked on having the right, perfect balance? We'd all be the same, right? Have you seen the places where, everybody, where everybody's house is exactly the same? Is that like a place you want to live? No. No, right? There's something very um, unsettling, right? There's something like the humanity gets sucked at when everybody tries, like, everybody's house is, it's like, you know, those like, commercials for suburbia from the 1970s, right? Everybody's house is the same. Everybody's life is the same, right? Of course, the way your chachma and gvura and ches and all these things interact is going to be different for you than it is for me. And what's wrong with that? That's fine. We need to work on it more. All our different... No, you don't need to work on it. It's fine. Wherever it is, it's fine. Well, the problem is that you have chesed shebegvura and netzach shebaha. You have all those things. The problems are not spheres. Well, what did we start the class with? What are spheres? That's right. So the fact that you're more chesed and your chesed is really dominant, whereas the gvura is less dominant, fine. But here's the thing, is that chesed gvura blend that you have, is that your 10 crowns of impurity or is that the 10 spheres of your godly that's soul? The you that's the question you have to ask. That's, that's what's happening during this time. Right? That's the sphere, right? So you take a sphere, right? You take to the day and you're like, okay, fine. Whatever it is, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, 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 I'm gonna use just a simpler one, not today's, because it's simpler, okay? Let's take chesed shebe chesed. Chesed means you love, Right? And because you love, you love. Wait, you can't do two different ones? Do one a day. Okay. So, yeah. Right? It's just this idea that you love, and you love the fact you love, and you're into loving, right? And so you're just you know, all around loving. It's very simple, right? Okay. We're all loving. Right? There's no person in the world who's, who's reasonably mentally healthy who's not loving. And into the fact that they love. Now here's the question. What do you love? What do you love? And... What do you, and a kind of love that you love that you love it, and you're like wholeheartedly loving it, and you feel uncomplicated about that love. Now ask yourself, is that a way of bringing godliness into the world, that kind of emotional experience? Or is that not? Is it a sphere or is it not a sphere? If it's not a sphere, what is it? It's a crown of impurity. It's a Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, like, we have a very multifaceted personality. So we are doing it. You're just saying it in different words. Because, here, this is what's very important. You first, the thing is, it's, the thing is not to say, okay, how do I work on having more chesed shebechesed, or more gvura shebechesed, or more netzach shebehoid, or whatever it is. Like, you don't have to work on having more, that more. The question is, which one do you have? Now, it gets more complicated. It's not a class on Sphere Omer. 
Okay? But the question is not, do I, ha- do I have this me, do I have this trait? The question is, I have this trait, is it a way of expressing God or is it not? Okay? To put this another way, when we left Egypt, we don't differentiate all the Jews that leave Egypt, right? Because Hashem takes us out, all we do is follow, right? But Sphere Omer, every Jew is different. Why? Because my unique blend of my faculties is different than your blend. And so the question is not, how do I work on having more of this or more of that? It's not about personality sculpting. You're whatever you are. With whatever you know, traits you have, it doesn't matter. But the question is, is the, are these spheres or are these impurities? And the answer is, well, okay, there is some impurity there, so you've got to get rid of that impurity. Right? It would be like, you know, using the example of water again. Yeah? If you have a 10-gallon jug of water, and I have this little cup of water, we have different amounts of water, right? Yeah, we both have water. We both, we're both right. But the, the Spheres Omer question is not whether I, have, I don't have as much water as you have. The question is, is my water pure water, or does it have silt and stuff mixed into it, right? So I might have a cup of pure water, and you might have a 10-gallon jug right, of contaminated water. And who's achieved more on the Spheres Omer schedule? Right, the one, the one that has the pure water. Now, if you go looking for water, though, which one are you going to find more of in the other one, right? So if you go looking for, say, chesed, right? Chesed, you love and you're really loving. You might find someone who's much more loving than another person. Does that mean they've succeeded in that day's work of sphere? No. Because no. the question is, is that love revealing God or is that love an impurity? And you could find somebody where the love is very minuscule because they're just not that much of a loving person. That's not how Hashem made them. Fine, okay. But the little bit of love that is manifest in their life is pure. It's a seaport. It tells a story of godliness. It reveals godliness. It shines godliness into the world. Now this only makes sense if you don't think of you having as one chesed or two, but rather you have two chesed and two gavurs. And the question is, in each one of them is to deal with the impurities of the animal soul. But we are supposed to take every day and look at the sphera and see where in our lives can we bring that which we already have for holiness. Right. Now, this is, by the way, why Sphira's Omer is connected to Pesach. Because the idea is to take that sense of Hashem that we got on Pesach, which we discussed before, remember, on Pesach? And you have to figure out, okay, how is my chesed, how is my gavura going to be revealing that, shining that, telling that story, rather than just being an impurity that blocks it? But it's not about, if you're not as loving as a person as you would like, I mean, maybe you should work on that, maybe you shouldn't, but that's not Sphere Soma. Mm-hmm. If you're not as disciplined a person as you would like, again, that maybe you should work on it, maybe you shouldn't, but that's not Sphere Soma. The question is, where you really are disciplined, wherever that is, is that really infused with it out being about revealing Hashem in the world and in your life? Or is that not that? So the idea here is, is that you have two different chastits, two different gvuras, two different everythings. Okay? And the way we're going to think of them is that the animal souls are considered impurities. And as a general rule, what is a person's attitude to an impurity? Stay away. We like to stay away from them. And if we have them, we like to get rid of them or at least get them down to a tolerable level, right? Mm-hmm. Does this water pure water? Yeah. It's pure enough to drink. Does it say anywhere about the spheres thing that you just shared? Yeah. 
Um, what would you like Hebrew or would you like English? If you want Hebrew, the best place is in the Chassidus Muvaris. There's a mimer on um, on Sfir Sa'omer, and then there's a and then there's a mimer of the Rebbe from Tavshin Yud Aleph on Sfir Sa'omer. Uh, what I'm finding regularly, Kodesh Sichas. Yeah, Kodesh Sichas speaks about it more generally. There, I think, is better. Tavshin Yud Aleph. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In fact, let's just go one step further. Many people's desire to work on themselves and sphere sober is motivated by what? Self. Yes. Do we are we all unsatisfied with our with our self image in some way? Yeah. Would we all like to look in the metaphoric mirror and say, Wow, I'm really impressed with the character of that person I see in that mirror? Yes. And then do we corrupt Sphere Omer into being about that? Yes. Okay, right. So it turns out that most people's Sphere Omer is like the opposite of Sphere Omer. Which um, is not meant to dishearten you. It's hopefully it's meant to. What? It's meant to be about you? No. It's meant. It's how do I. They are in you. It's, it, it's in you. It's not about you. It's, is, is what's happening in me about me or not? Is my love all about me or is my love about Hashem? Is my discipline about me or is my discipline about Hashem? Right? It's me, but it's not about me. Right. How does the godliness of Pesach? How is that? How is that shown in my unique way? In my unique character? Each at different aspect of me, rather than how do I make myself into something else? That you know, because I would like to be more impressed with myself in my own mind. Okay. End of Sfirah Omer discussion. If this wasn't a Sfirah Omer, if it wasn't a Sfirah Omer, I don't know if I said that. Okay. Now, these crowns of impurity um, they're clothed in the person's blood. That's what it says, right? Okay, now why is it significant to know that they're clothed in our blood? Well, what's the purpose of blood? What is the purpose of blood? It's our life source. Okay, so that means, is our life source coming from holiness or is our life source coming from this impurity? This impurity. Yes. Yes. So it means, right, as a living person, yeah, what are you? As far as, you know, godliness is concerned. That's not what it says. What does the text actually say? What does the text say? The soul which is derived from the sitrach and the chlipas nog, which is clothed in man's blood, consists of ten crowns of impurity. So what's clothed in our blood is impurity. So what's enlivening us? What? What is enlivening us? Impurity. So then, what are we? Impurity. Just giant... Walking, talking, self-sustaining impurity. We are a blight on the truth of godliness. That is what that means. But we're, we're part of Oh, no, no, no. You are not part of Hashem. Please turn to chapter 29. 
Um, our mind's page 125, in the middle of the chapter. Okay. You should have a footnote 5. You see footnote 5? Yes, you see that in the text, footnote 5? You don't use the same thing in your... You don't have footnote 5 because you're using a different book. I asked everyone to have Tanya's for this class. How come that didn't happen? Okay. Fine. Well, if you don't have, we don't have any more times. There's something of uh, no five yes. on the next page where it says the jump to Where it says yes. Where it says um, yes. Some. Right. Okay. So now go up to where in the text after foot, where after the foot, after the five. This is the sitracha, which is the very man himself in intermediate people, in whose heart the vital soul which animates the body is in its native strength. Hence, it is the very man himself. So you are. What does it say here? We're talking about people, regular people. Who are you? After five, you see the five in the text? Because that's where I want to read from. This is the Sitrachra, which is the very man himself, an intermediate people, in whose heart the vital soul which animates the body is in its native strength, hence it is the very man himself. So, what does that mean in English? No. What is enlivening you? Which soul? Which... Which is the Nefshah Bahamas. Whereas with regard to the divine soul within him, it is said, the soul which thou gavest within me is pure. Note that the words thou which gavest within me, implying that the man himself is not the pure soul. So are you your godly soul? No. 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 What are you? Your Very good. Because what is enlivening your body? Your the, the, the blood, which is enlivened by the impurities of the animal soul. Now, if you were at Tzaddik, this would all be different as that chapter goes on to say, but you're not at Tzaddik, so we're not going to worry about that right now. Okay? In other words, have you ever heard this idea that Musr is very harsh and Hasidus is all about making people feel good? Have you heard that before? Yeah. Okay, well, that's not true. Because now we're going to learn stuff that's harsh. From the, if you start from the perspective of the godly soul, that whatever is making me be a person, is it good or is it bad? There's a godly soul, and then there's this thing that makes that enliven me as a person called the animal soul. What is that? The animal soul. And what is it? Is it bad? It's bad. It's an impurity, right? And that's in li- that my t- the totality of my existence as a human being is just an embodiment of impurity and every time I try and do something and every time I'm motivated by something every time I want something every time I'm after something every time I take care of myself it's all just furthering that impurity so imagine like you're trying to like filter the, the sand out of the water but the sand keeps like I mean sand doesn't do this but it keeps let's use a different example you're trying to rid your house of, of termites but the termites keep uh, multiplying yeah. you might get frustrated with the termites right the godly soul is trying to get rid of the impurities and the human being is busy trying to do what? Keep them. Keep them and maintain them and strengthen them. Right? 
So we're not saying now, oh, you have some negative attributes. You know, you have a little bit of a temper problem. You're a little bit indulgent. You're like, you have some character things you're working We're saying, no, the totality of the human psyche, which enlivens the person's flesh and blood, is an, an impurity. Oh, that was optimistic, right? Yeah. Okay. What are these? Now, we're going to analyze these impurities. We're not going to treat them in a general way. We're going to get, is break it down. Is our prayer like the animal soul? No. It's a godly soul. That the soul is within you. It's not you. You are made up of animal souls. That's right. So that's what I was saying, that our animal soul is the main. You said, is it stronger? I didn't say it's stronger. And I correct you, I said it's more noticeable. Why is it right. more noticeable? Because what's the thing that's keeping you alive and clothed in your body? The blood. The, the, the animal soul in the blood. The so godly soul can be strong. Well, that's a matter of free will. You can make, I mean, look, think about it. If you are in a relationship with somebody, right? Any kind of relationship, you can make it all about you, right? That's right. So you have a godly soul. You can make your life all about you, and the godly soul gets dragged along and suffers, or you can make it about the godly soul, right? Which is going to require you to radically change how you live your life. Okay. But naturally, we would go to the animal soul if we didn't work on ourselves at all. That's right. That means it's the main. I mean, I. I um, that's like saying, um, right. that's like saying, that's like saying, since if you don't work on a relationship, the relationship tends to dissolve. The natural state of all, the natural thing in all marriages tend to divorce. But I don't think that I would go that far. I would say that people are generally motivated to work on relationships, and so most relationships don't dissolve because, as much most people don't want to actually live their life in their relationship, so most marriages, um, one second, most marriages um, that it take place in a culture that values marriage, so do not end in divorce. Notice I have to add that caveat there. Yeah. Okay, it's important, right? Because we're social creatures. If you're doing something all on your own, it's very, very hard. Right. Okay. So, so now we're going to learn all about the psychology of human beings. We call it the psychology of the animal soul because we're talking about it from the perspective of the godly soul. But if we were to, if we were to take the same subject and and divorce it of the context of time, you would just call this human psychology, okay? All right. But we're not going to call, but when he, and if it was a course of human psychology, it would be very, using very neutral terms to describe everything, right? But we're talking about it from the perspective of the godly soul, where everything is an impurity, so are we going to be using neutral terms? No, no everything is going to get what kind of an adjective attached to it? Bad. What? Bad. A bad one. All right. These are the seven evil midas. Well, there you go. <laughs> right? Right off that. Everything you feel as a human being is categorized as evil. evil, which stem from the four evil elements mentioned above, and the intellect begetting them, which is subdivided into three, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, chachamin and das, which are the source of the midas. Okay. So the first thing I want to, to point out is that it actually starts with the emotions here, whereas if you remember in chapter 3, it started with the intellect. And the reason is because in the animal soul, i.e. in people, the base, the ground, is the emotions, not the intellect. Whereas with the godly soul, the reverse is true. The base is the intellect. So we have to have a little discussion of the difference between the seichel, intellect, and emotions, which we had way back at the beginning of the year, but we're going to revisit it. Okay. Broadly speaking... What is the difference between seichel and midas, intellect, and emotions? 
I'm just using because we need we need some words in English. But what is the what is the broadly speaking the difference? Anyone know? Between intellect and emotion. Yes, or more accurately, seichel and midas. I don't know if intellect is the best translation oh, for seichel. Your brain wasn't hot. Nah. Why? That's like saying the main difference between a safer Torah and a toilet is that one is in the shul and one is in the bathroom. I don't. I mean, I would say that the fact that they're in those places stems from the main difference between them, not the other round. It's not like if you took the safer Torah and put it in the bathroom, you know, it's equivalent to a toilet. Not. One is. A why? Yeah, but there's a reason why one is hard. Because one is. Illogical. No, one's more like, I don't know. to the book, like a cycle. Like... Mm, it's not always to the book. By the way, I'm, I'm learning Tanya now with my 12 year old because he's becoming bar mitzvah. So we're learning chapter 3, so we have to go through Seichel and Midos. It's quite fascinating doing this with a 12 year old. What? Why? Because there's a level of self awareness and maturity that the 12 year old doesn't have, and so you have to figure out how to explain things in a way that they can oh. understand. Uh, I know. <laughs> That's why you're not so interested. Okay. Um, so. Okay. So uh, a good what? It's the obvious. It's the They're obvious. Opposites. They're opposites. Good, but why are they opposites? That's important. They're, they are opposites. Why are they opposites? No. No. Isn't one kind of innate and the other you need to work on? No. So, so there, there's, there's, when you want to get it, when you have questions like this, where you kind of actually do know the answer, you're just having a hard time formulating, formulating it because it's all mushy in your m mind, which is a Bina problem, by the way, it's good to have tools. Okay? It's like if you're cooking, you have all the ingredients. The problem is that you don't necessarily have the tools, right? For instance, um, do you have a brush to brush things on, right? If you want to like base things, do you have a baster? Do you have a mixer, right? So a lot of times the people have all the ingredients. They have the actual stuff that they know, but they're, they're not applying the right tools. Okay, so, so here are some tools you can use when you want to like get at what is really the difference. One thing you can do is you can ask what makes each one superior to the other or inversely, what is each one's deficiency? What, what is each one lacking that the other one doesn't have? Another thing is, another thing you could do is you could ask um, yourself. Why do I need both? Right? Those are different ways of getting at the same kind of thing. So what would happen? Let's do that. What would happen if you had no seichel? Took it away. You just didn't touch your emotions. What? But no, to, to flesh it out. Don't just use a word. Don't just use use a word to go. Like flesh out. What would life be like if we got rid of your seichel? And this is, by the way, easy no, to do because we have people that who have no seichel. You, you, you wouldn't be making how you feel. What? You'd be making decisions on how you feel. You would be making entire decisions on how you. You wouldn't. Feel. You wouldn't think about what you're doing. Like you wouldn't do things. Like you wouldn't write in your book. Like. That's true. What else? I mean, can we give an example of someone who who has emotion but not really any seichel? A minimal level of cycle. Like, like a child. Very good. Now, what is a major difference between children and adults? Adults can regulate. Adults can regulate. Adults can. All right. Adult, adults can plan. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And another important difference is that who is the only person who's genuinely important in the life of a small child? Themselves. And when we encounter an adult like that, what is our reaction to them? Well, they're acting like a child. Right. We're quite, we're quite repulsed by that. Right. So, 
Seichel gives you an, an, a, a real awareness, a real grasp, a real appreciation of things that are beyond yourself, beyond what you feel in the moment, right? Beyond what you're experiencing in the moment, beyond now, gives you an awareness that there's later, right? And it even gives you an awareness that like other people matter, other things matter, right? That's Seichel. That's Seichel. That's, That's all Seichel. So someone who doesn't appreciate that there's a tomorrow is lacking in seichel. Someone who doesn't appreciate that just because I feel certain it doesn't make it true is lacking seichel. Someone who appreciate that the world doesn't revolve around them is lacking in seichel. Now seichel has different parts to it, but seichel is an awareness of reality beyond, beyond ourselves. Okay. Now, have you ever met people that seem to not have emotion? Yeah. What what what's problematic? What? What's problematic if you meet someone without very much emotion? They can't relate to them. You can't relate to them, right? Because you, because there's really, it doesn't really sense like there's a person there. Right? Because what is emotion? Emotion is how you connect to something. So midas are how you connect to something, and seichel is your awareness of things other than yourself. So the main thing in your seichel is what's beyond you. The main thing in your midas is... What's the main thing in emotions is yourself. Okay? So this is why we have this interesting tension, right? Because if we have seichel and no emotion, seichel and no midas, right? That's very good if you're talking about something where all, you're, all we need you is to accomplish a task, right? Like, say, a surgeon, right? It's not so great if you want a relationship with the person, right? Because there's not much of a person there. On the other hand, if you have Midas and no Seichel, it's very hard to have a connection with that person because that person, the only thing that's real to them is themselves, themselves and their experiences. Mm-hmm. Right? Why can't you have a real relationship with a small child? Because it's all about themselves. And why can't you have a relationship with someone who's just, their head is in ideas all the time and they never feel? Because there's no them. So the child is too much them. And they're too little. And, the, right? and so you need both, right? That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. So now, what does it say about the godly soul that everything is grounded in seichel and that creates the emotions? What does that say about it? The godly soul, it's seichel, it's, it, there's seichel, and then there's emotions. What does it say about a being if it's emotions come after and are built on the seichel. So what seichel? Just you know, do a little substitution. Right? What seichel? My awareness of things beyond myself. Right. And my emotions are how I feel about things. Yeah. So how I feel about something is based on my... awareness. selfish, no? Can you discuss that? No. How I feel about something is based on my awareness of it. Then at the core of my emotions... Is me or at the core of my emotions? It would be about the things outside of yourself. Right. On the other hand, what if we reversed it? What if we start as the core as being emotions and then we add seichel? Then it would be the seichel would be about us. That's right. Now think about it. What is the most powerful motivator in human reasoning? Truth? Honesty? How, what actually motivates human reasoning to work? Like, what makes people be smarter? Interest. Interest. Okay. 
Interest in what? Something that they're accepting on their own. Why does it make them small? Because the because reason does not reason does not. Reason doesn't operate on its own. Reason is in service of our emotions. So for instance, if somebody insults you, your brain works really hard to find a clever retort. Really? And, and the more vengeful and spiteful you feel towards them, right, if a lot of money is at stake, you get very more creative. If something really, if something, if we feel like we could gain a lot or avert a big loss, right? And you know what's interesting? We've done, I've told you this before, that I only mentioned research if it confirms my biases. Okay, so here's the thing. If you give someone um, a, a research paper with some data and ask them to analyze it, figure out what the conclusions are, okay? So what's interesting is, that let's say they're like very, we'll just, they're very right wing, and the, and this paper brings data to support a left wing position. If they're very right wing, they'll try and figure out what's wrong with the information. They'll try, or they'll make mistakes in analyzing it. And it'll come with creative ways of reinterpreting it. But if they're left wing, they won't, and then vice versa, left wing to right wing. Okay. So this idea, this idea that right when when your emotions are for something, you become very good at explaining how it's w true and good and works. And if you're against something, you're very, your intellect becomes very good at figuring out what's wrong with it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, you would think that the more intelligent and knowledgeable a person is, the more honest they would be, right? But in fact, that's not the case. So if you take someone that is like not so smart and not so politically engaged, and they, their read of the data will probably be more accurate than someone who's highly knowledgeable and highly intelligent because it turns out that human reasoning is subservient to and motivated by emotion, emotional drives. So kids are And this is why every teacher knows that if, you, if people are not emotionally engaged in what you're doing, then you're not going to learn anything. In other words, at the end of the day, no matter how um, rational and broad-minded we, we are purporting to be, if you keep digging deep enough, what you will find is that what's happening is that we're not motivated by some awareness and appreciation of the truth or what's right. What we're motivated by is our emotions. And our intellect is in service of that. And basically, our entire intellect as human beings only deals with two questions. Human intellect, the intellect of the animal soul, has two questions and only two questions that it's constantly trying to answer. And they are, does it taste good? And how do I get it? Which basically means, is this good for me or bad for me? And if it is good for me, how do I get it? And if it's bad for me, how do I avoid it? And everything that our human minds are doing, our human reasoning is doing, is, under, is being undergirded by those, by those drives. And so when we're in a certain emotional state, right, we're drawn to think certain things are good for us, and other emotions, other things are good for us, bad for us. For instance, can you explain why a person would come up with creative ways to annoy their teacher? People do that, right? Why would you come up with a creative way to annoy your teacher? 
Ah, right, so there's this idea. So first your intellect has convinced you, not necessarily full conscious thought, right? A lot of times the intellect is working subconsciously. That, so first you have this, this you, you, you feel this desire for attention, and then your intellect's convincing that getting that, that getting attention by annoying your teacher would meet the need of getting attention. And then the question is, well, how do I annoy the teacher, right? And then the question is, well, what are the costs of annoying the teacher, and are they worth the attention that I'm getting, right? Now, that's how everything works. Right? Sometimes there's a lot of layers, so it's harder to see. For instance, being a surgeon, you're saving lives, right? But what's under, what emotions are underlying someone being a surgeon? What? Well, you're a surgeon for someone else. Wanting to save lives. What? Why would you want to save lives? Feels good. Feels good. Okay, I don't mind that. Okay. <laughs> right? We have a desire to feel good, right? But here's the thing. Feeling good is too generic, okay? I want to be more specific. We feel accomplished at the end. Okay, right. This is the thing. Feeling good is way too generic, and it misleads the point. We have, a, some, we have some emotions. We have an emotional drive to feeling accomplished, to having social position, okay? to having power. These are, by the way, three different things. Accomplished means, right, there's some actual task, and you've achieved it. Now you feel proud of yourself because you achieved something, right? Then there's social, posi then there's social position, right? People, right? There's a hierarchy of, and, and you have some, right? Then there's just power. It's just the fact that you can make th uh, things happen mm -hmm. and control of the thing, right? Okay? Um, then there's also, like, we, one of the things is that we, we, we really despise being bored, right? We like things that are, right? We want to feel, okay. feel stimulated, right? So you take, the, you take the emotional attraction to those things, and can those all be met by being a successful surgeon? You think they are, even yourself. Yeah. And why do you think people put up with the hell that medical school is and residency? For that yeah. yeah, now, by the way, we could add a little bit more. Yeah, they are helping people. How does it feel to, li feel, how does it, how does it feel to know that your life is utterly wasted? That doesn't feel good either, right? So we also have a need to feel like we're doing something worthwhile. Add that to the mix, right? Yeah. Right? So you have a bunch of these needs, and we figure out clever ways of figuring out what those needs are and meeting them. And sometimes we do really good things because of that, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we do really horrible things because of that, right? Mm -hmm. But setting aside all of the reasoning and all, all of that is underlying is that we just have these emotional drives we're trying to fill. It doesn't, it doesn't start with there is an actual truth of the matter. What's the starting point is... I care about me, and I have certain things that I feel drawn to, certain things that I feel repulsed by, right? And then my intellect tries to figure out what they are and how to meet them, right? And over time, that develops, right? So when you're a child, it's all, well, that's all there. It's very simple. And then when you're an adult, it's much more complicated, right? Because it keeps iterating over itself. But that's all that's happening, right? So in a certain sense, the intellect is a slave to the emotions, so if you, you tell a person, you know, you should really calm down. You're being too emotional. Why should they calm down? For you. What? For you. Well, let, let, let's make the argument for, for them. Why, convince them. Why should they calm down? Because your brain's, your, your brain's going to do things that you don't really want to be doing. Ah, right. In other words, that you're not going to get your deeper emotional needs met if you allow your emotion, right, to, in other, to, control your, to, to control your intellect that way. So what you're saying is... 
in order for the intellect to be of good service to the emotions, right, the intellect needs some space to work. But it's still all about the emotions. Right? Anyone here take a cl- class in psychology? Yeah. What? Anybody? Yeah. And um, do they teach you how human beings are, are rational actors at our core, that we are all truth seekers? Or do they teach you how that we have different drives and needs that try to meet? And in the language of the Tanya, we have the evil emotions, right? Which stem from the evil elements and the intellect. Okay? Now, the rule is that there's a process of iteration. So you first have fundamental drives, and then you have intellect, and that intellect then comes back and reshapes. Okay? So for instance, you have, a, you have this desire to feel safe, right? That's pretty fundamental. And then your intellect tries to figure out what makes you feel safe. And that gives you new things, like say, for instance, desire to hold on to your blanket, right? Right? You see how that works? And now, that process iterates over and over and over again, and over the time you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s, your internal life is a giant mess, right? Because you've done that over and over on itself a few times. Okay. Is that what's happening with a godly soul? No, not at all. The godly soul is like, oh, well, that's God. Well, if that's what's God, then of course I now love him. And of course I now fear him. Why? Well, because God is the kind of thing that one should love. And God is the kind of thing one should fear. So basically by the animal soul, the emotions have control over the intellect. And the godly soul, the intellect has control over the That's right. And if you examine the wording here between chapter 6. What? It does. It does. No, that's the way it is. If you examine the wording in chapter 6 and you contrast it to chapter 3, you'll see the wording is very different. Okay. It says here, the intellect begetting them, which is divided three, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, the source of the midos. And then he continues, for the midos are according to the quality of the intellect. Hence, a child desires and loves petty things of inferior worth, for his intellect is too immature and deficient to appreciate things that are more precious. Likewise, he is provoked to anger and vexation over trivial things, and so too with boasting and other midos. But now... The only difference between the child and the adult, right, is the level they're operating on. So, for instance, little kids want little toys, and big kids want big toys, right? And little children are provoked over trivial things, and adults are only provoked over, right? So you see this, right? The, the child is losing their temper over, you know, over the, the, the you know, they, they lost at Monopoly or whatever, right? Like, it's just a game, right? And the person comes home, and they're really upset because their coworker said something. I'm like, this is, this is, this is my dignity. But, like, it's the same dynamic. It's just now you're operating on a different level, right? Yeah. But something's more big of a deal. Okay, it's more big of a deal because as the intellect matures, right, the ability to be aware of more of reality, right? Little children plan for tomorrow. Right. What we're going to do tomorrow, right? Some people plan for it. Some people plan for, like, their whole life, right? Like, they save and they invest, right? But th- the point is, no matter how broad your intellect goes, right, at the end of the day, it's, it's on a leash, and the leash is the emotions. And so, yeah, the emotions come back and are, and are reshaped by what the intellect knows, right? It's like the, the, it's like the, 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 the intellect is going out and finding out about the world in service of the emotions. And when it finds out the information, th- that thing is the degree of person's maturity, the emotions modify in accordance with what the intellect finds out about reality, but that modification still doesn't, under, that doesn't change their underlying mode of being, which is that I have these drives and I have these needs and I'm going to meet them. 
That's not what's happening with the godly soul. Right. What is the loftiest need that the animal soul has? If we had to make the hierarchy, what's the loftiest need? What's the lowest need? If we had to rank them. We have needs for food, we have needs for... for what? Using the bathroom. Okay, that's a pretty lowly need, right? What's the loftiest need you can think of? Procreation. Okay, procreation. Um, that's the same thing. Anything else? Wanting Hashem. The can leave Hashem out of it right now. Okay. Wanting to change. Wanting to be sense of connection with humans. Sense of connection, right? That's pretty lofty. A little bit loft, a little bit loftier. Wanting to make the world better. Okay, that's a form of it. Doesn't have to take that form. Feeling familiar. Helping people. Accomplishment. Wanting spirituality. Purpose or meaning. Which a lot of those things are examples of. What happens if, in fact. That, 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 that's a very powerful need we have. Now, it's not the only need we have, right? It's the only drive we have, right? We have all sorts of emotions, right? But the, right, the need for companionship, the need for pleasure, the need for stimulation, the need for safety, right? The, the, the need to keep your body working, we have all sorts of needs, right? Okay. Now, maybe you can even have you develop your intellect to the point where you recognize that God can meet those needs, right? And that a relationship with God is the best way of meeting those needs, right? But is that the same thing as the godly soul? No. The animal soul, or i.e. a human being, operates in the following, right? I have needs. I have things that I must have, that I, things that I desire, things that I'm drawn to, things that I cannot deal with. And then I have an intellect which tries to get to know the world and get to know myself and figure out how to manage that. And as that intellect matures, those emotions mature. But that means my entire life is being grounded on my own self-interest. Even purpose and meaning, which might cause me to be very selfless, is really grounded in self-interest. In contrast, the godly soul, or the, the godly soul's starting point is its intellect, its awareness. There's Hashem is real, Hashem is true. Hashem is the kind of being that should evoke love, should evoke fear, should evoke loyalty. And so the godly soul manifest those emotions that are the proper way to relate to God. It's very different. It's very unhuman, the godly soul. If you dig deep enough under any human thing, what will you end up finding? That they're motivated by emotional self-interest, right? That's what the Altar is saying. And what the intellect is going to do is going to give that maturity, temper that, but it's working on that premise, it's working on that basis. That's what it means to be a human being. In fact, what's different about a human being than an animal is that whereas an animal doesn't have intellect really at all, so you know, the animal just develops however it does and that's it, whereas a human being 
they can they they have they have intellect so they can change their emotions to the point that the the needs that they're trying to fill are say maybe a lower loftier needs such as a need for purpose and connection rather than a need for power and control and safety but but at the end of the day the emotions are what's driving the intellect of the animal soul and what is it enlivens our body which means what is the what is the what is the thing driving our lives in as much as we're people our emotions and if we pretend that it's not that then we're deluding ourselves yes um, is there a high and low or loftier and lower in the godly soul the godly soul is interested in one thing and only thing which is god because right, so there's no needs that are higher or lower. Doesn't, the godly soul doesn't really have... It, the godly soul has one thing, which is that it is aware of God, and because it's aware of God, it needs God. But it works in that order. That first it has to be aware of God. That's right. And we're still trying to work on that always? Well, later on, we're going to in chapter 18 that there's a level of our godly soul which is always aware of God. But up till now, we've been speaking about a level of awareness that has to be developed, yes. Right. Yes. Um, so, I've listened to some classes before about um, this godly soul and spirit. Right. But, um, so it's, it's more practically speaking, but when you, if you say that needs God, um, that's really a matter of amuna, which is emotional, no? No, amuna is not emotion. Amuna is something else. So, amuna, so there's a, a, a tendency that people have, which is that when you, when you, we spoke, about, we spoke last week about how you put things in context of other things. So if you, if you value something as a culture, then things that are other than that then get grouped together as other than that. For instance, right? we all know that we have a subconscious, right? That's total nonsense. We don't have a subconscious. You don't? No, you don't. It's ridiculous. You're joking. No, I'm not joking. You do not have a subconscious. Right? There are many parts of yourself which you are not consciously aware of, but you don't have this thing called a subconscious. Why does your mind? Why do we group it as a subconscious? Because what do we value? We we value being consciously aware of ourselves, right? And so everything that we're not consciously aware of gets lumped together as if it's one thing, but it's not, right? It's like if you're Ashkenazi, everybody else is farted. It's like no, it's not true. Not, not every non Ashkenazi is farted, which is not the way it is, right? What? I'll tell you, my sister-in-law is Yemenite. She's not Sparty. Like, she's not, like, not interested. In, like, it's not, okay? Um, if you live in a society which values reason and rationality, right? So anything that is not rational gets all lumped together. Notice how when we discussed emotion, it was, I never mentioned the word rationality once. Emotion is how I feel towards something. That's it. Right now, which which right now, by the way, the, my emotions might be very rational. For instance, if I right, if I really don't, if I feel a great aversion to sticking my hand on a stove, right, I would say that's quite a rational emotion, right? But uh, it's still, I feel that way. There's a woman whose name is not known because it would be dangerous if people knew her name who does not feel fear. Why is dangerous to know her Because she's a woman. No, it just happens to me. She's a woman. No, because. It's easy to take advantage of her. 
nobody knows. I mean, she, 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 she's known from, me, from, from medical literature because she just doesn't feel fear. She understands that things are dangerous. But think about it. Think about it. If Why you, because the people would know who she is and she they could go and take advantage of her. Like you, if somebody comes and, uh, and offers to, and offers to, to. Where did you hear this from? I happen to know lots of interesting things. I, I read a lot, basically. <laughs> So is, is it like being publicized? No. no. In medical no. literature, is she alive? Yes. If you publicize oh. it, people take it. Oh, people, okay. someone would come oh, knock yeah, on her yeah. door and say, no, no, and no. say, would you like to? Would, would, I have this really good offer, right? Right. All you need to do is sign your house away. Now, if you had to, if you had to rationally okay, think through, one second, if you have to rationally think through whether that's a good idea or not, how long does that take you? Two seconds. It okay. takes you not two seconds. If you have to rationally think it through, it would take you longer. Your house. A lot of our fear is based on intellect. So That's right, but at the so end of the day, you have to feel. She doesn't feel the fear, which means. Okay, but like she's rational. She has to rationally think it through from the beginning. So the doctors put this out as a thing. That's an interesting study. They study her. Yeah. That's so cool. Nobody, but so like walking down the street, walking crossing the street is very dangerous for her. Because she doesn't have this. This like at some point, it, you you feel the fear of crossing a busy street, right? What, what, kids. At what point do kids understand that crossing a busy street is dangerous? When they run in and... They understand it, they understand it three, four, five. It's not, it doesn't take that long. At what point do they feel the fear not to run into the street? If they're men, not till 24. <laughs> Something like that. Like, it takes time for... It take, so there's a difference between like feeling and... Understanding, right? Feelings that how you actually feel towards something, right? That's what allows us to have relationships with people. It also what motivates most of our behavior about the day. Some of our behavior is intellect governed, but most of it isn't. It's habit and emotion. If you don't feel fear, right, that all of those things that make you feel like maybe I shouldn't do this don't exist, and you have to actually stop and think. Life is very dangerous for such a person. Okay, getting back to what you said about, about Amuna or faith. So Amuna, which is something Dr. addresses in chapter 18, which is much later, Amuna is something else. Amuna is that the truth um, is revealed to me, but I don't know what the truth is. So it's a very interesting dynamic. Amuna is more like seichel. It's more like intellect, in the sense that it's really not about how I feel about something. It's about reality beyond myself. But it's not like intellect, because in intellect, I actually... Um, I'm changed by it. I learn, I grow, I develop. Whereas in Amuna, the truth presents itself to me and maybe has an impact on me, but remain unchanged. So if you think about the example of that would be um, like a little child. If you tell a little child that something is dangerous, okay, it's dangerous, done. But that's, you presented the truth and they received the truth. But Nothing was really processed. They haven't. Right? It takes time for the child to actually come to understand. It, oh, what does it mean that it's dangerous? Right? Sticking your hand in the light socket is dangerous in a different way than like going into a stranger's car is dangerous. Right? But a, a three-year-old, a four-year-old doesn't understand those things. It's just dangerous as a category. So, the muna is a totally different thing. It's the, there's the truth of Hashem. It it's revealed. It affects us. But we don't necessarily fully, un- we don't really know what that means, and it doesn't, we don't change, and so what can end up happening is the moon has tolerates a lot of contradictions, whereas intellect doesn't. So you're never going to have a situation where, as setting your emotions aside, you're never going to have a situation where you're going to act in a way that doesn't really make sense to you. But the moon is more closely related to a feeling, isn't it? 
It's not. It's actually you don't feel at all. Now, what most people will call emuna means it is actually, it's actually something else. It's actually something else. It's love. It's I love something. I desire it to be true. Like, for instance, um, you find that a relative committed a crime. Right? I don't believe it. What do you mean you don't believe it? Right? What you mean is that I love this person, I don't want to think ill of them, so I want to reject that, right? So when, when, we, when we feel the strong desire that reality be a certain way because we, we love it or, or we hate it, people often call that, but that's actually, moon is something else. Moon is a sense, is more like um, when you're tutoring a child, you're absolutely sure that if they put in the work and you work with them, they'll succeed. But you haven't seen their success. You've seen no evidence of their success. But something tells you that that's the way the world is. And by the way, you don't necessarily have to like what you have a moon in. So the moon is it's a different thing. It's, it's, it's a totally different thing. So often, if, often if, if, you, if you look at something for what it is, rather than defining it as irrational or just putting it in a lumping category, right? Intellect works a certain way. There are things that are not intellect. They're not emotion. And moon is one of them. Other things are one of them. Pleasure is not that. Pain isn't that. Physical health is there's a bunch of things which are not intellect or emotion, right? Just like some things are you're consciously aware of and some things you're not. But to take all the things you're not consciously aware of and say they're the same, it's not. It's not true. Some of the things you're not consciously aware of, you can be consciously aware of and pay attention to them. Some of them you can't. So it, it, it's better to have not to use not to use things like words like irrational as as, as a fundamental description. It's like physically saying that the whole world is divided into potatoes and not potatoes which is technically true, but not very useful, unless you're making mashed potatoes, in which case what you care about is potatoes. So imuna is there's something, there's something true, and I can sense that it's true. I may not even like that I sense that it's true. Like a classic example of this is people that are angry with God. They, re- they hate God. They wish God would not exist. But for some reason, they can't seem to just let him go. So what's that? It seems, some, on some level, seems true to them God is real. And they really wish it wasn't the case, right? So you have a Muna. But th- that's, not a, that's not emotion-based. That's something different. That's more like a Muna. A lot of times, I believe, you know, it's like an expression of, you know, wishful thinking. That's a different thing. Okay. Yeah. Tomorrow, what we're going to do is we're going to go more into detail and describe the different emotions and intellect of the animal soul and what they're actually like in detail. Not all of them, but some of them.